Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, it's the Freight 360 Podcast. From freight broker sales tips to sports talk, this podcast is all about helping you grow as a freight broker. We're your hosts, Nate Cross and Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for milestone episode 150 of the Freight 360 Podcast. Did you realize that we were up to 150 already, Ben? I did not, but that's... uh... So I was awesome, putting the man. notes together this week, and I had to highlight the 150 on our on our little show notes document because I was like, "That's kind of a milestone." I remember when we hit 100. I think we had Trey on, right? It was about just about a year ago. Um, yep. Yeah, man, good stuff. Come a long way for sure. So we're gonna have a good episode today, though. This is uh, this is a topic that that we get asked a lot. People, you know. How do I cold call? What do I say? What questions do I ask? So that's what today's episode is going to be all about. The cold calling questions to ask shippers as a freight broker. We'll get into that in a little bit here. But first, if you're brand new here, you caught a great milestone, monumental episode with great content. Make sure to check out all the other content. Share us with your friends. Leave those reviews. We haven't had a written review in in a few months here. I was trying to look at iTunes yesterday and Got a lot of five stars, but no one feels like typing anymore. So that's okay. I will tell Uh, you, though, on the other note, we've gotten a lot more activity on the YouTube channel. So keep the questions and the comments coming. Um, This is where we get a lot of our questions that we're going to actually answer and the topics for the show, right? So they aren't just being out there where, you know, we even just answer them one-on-one like we aggregate those. In fact, you know, we were discussing that this last week, we're going to start doing some likely some YouTube shorts where we're going to do the minute or minute and a half videos. And we're going to answer questions like this, the ones that are submitted to the channel or submitted through info at Freight360 through our website, or even just emailing us anywhere that we're getting questions, right? We're going to start putting yeah. out some short videos and just directly answering them. Facebook group as well, the Freight Brokers and Carriers mm-hmm group on Facebook. Um, you'll know it's ours because there's like 44 or 45,000 people in there and it says Freight 360 at the top. Um, yep. Actually, today's questions all came from the Facebook group. We had a, we've got, had a lot of really good stuff coming in there, so keep it up. Um, well, let's do a little sports recap here. I'm just going to... Really, I just want to talk about how bad the Red Sox are right now. If anyone saw any news headlines in sports, you probably saw the Red Sox set records by losing 28-5. to five. <laughs> It was against uh, a football the Blue game Jays. Or- <laughs> it was so bad. It was so, so bad. Um, it was like the, the most runs they ever allowed in like modern history as a franchise. Um, I think Toronto's like highest scoring game in modern uh, franchise history and it's uh it's up there for like all time like one of the highest scoring games ever in baseball history not the highest i think there was like someone scored 29 or 30 points but 28 to 5 what happened uh, and what i thought was funny is um so tom brady he I and mean, he was off a little bit cuz he 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 tweeted a joke at, i think it was uh um one of the other it's the top oh, one by the way it's the top one. I just Googled it. Most runs scored in a game in MLB history. Oh, I'm sorry. The Red Sox actually have it. Red Sox versus the Browns, 29 to 4, was the oh. ultimate. Was well, the that's worst. a little redeeming fact right there. Yeah, they, they had the other record, 29 to 4. So they did a little better <laughs> so, than the so absolute worst. Tom Brady tweeted, I think it was at like uh, Jillian Edelman or something like that, like, this is going to make a hell of a story. Like he was referencing the 28 to three halftime score in the Super Bowl. Um, unfortunately, the Red Sox did not come back. Uh, they just continued to lose. So, 
But yeah, good stuff. What else is going on in sports, man? I know the Bills started their uh, um, training camp. Training camp in the last Steelers couple of days. A lot, a lot of pretty much NFL teams all around are doing that. So we're getting close. Yeah, Steelers. Man. A few weeks until preseason. Steelers kicked it off up at St. Vincent. We used to go up there every summer to go watch them play. It's at the college just outside of Pittsburgh. The whole team goes and stays at that college. They said there's like, I think, four other NFL teams. The only two that I rec- that I remembered them were like Green Bay does this and the Cowboys do this, where they go to another city in another area where they have like training Bills camp. do too. Bill's playing Bills Rochester at yeah. a college out there. Yeah. So, cool. I mean, big thing that's. I mean, but that's pretty much about it. Um, Tony Finau won the 3M last weekend. Nice. I didn't watch much of it. Well, good stuff. Let's uh, give a shout out to our friends over at DAT before we get into the content today. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT load board network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners and you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. With the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a link for DAT Power, Express, or Trucker's Edge. Get you a free month off and help support us over at Freight360. Absolutely. All right. So today's topic, the questions to ask when you're cold calling. So I want to I start this off by explaining... But we already know why we're doing this topic because it's it's highly demanded. But I want to talk about why it's important to understand having good questions to ask on a call, right? So a couple of things that we've we've stressed before is um, you should do, you know, when you're prospecting, you should not be pitching yourself, right? You should be gathering information, and by asking good questions, you're going to uncover a lot of things. So, like you you've used the uh, the saying like God gave you two ears and one mouth. Use them. Proportionately, proportionately, right? Um, it should be spent listening to your prospects or your cost, potential customers answer questions about a whole bunch of different things. We're going to go through some categories of questions and actually specific questions to ask in this in this topic or today's episode. But it's really important because if you come across as that like salesy, I'm pitching you on something kind of thing, um, it's very easy to pick up on that if you're on the other end of the phone. So a good thing about any good sale that you've ever been the customer in, right? The salesperson does a really, really good job at making you feel valued and important, right? Because they're asking you things that are personal to you. You know, like if you're buying a car, they're going to ask you like, you know, do you have kids? And what, you know, do you travel? Like, you know, stuff like that. So it's just really good in general. I just want to preface with that, that good question asking is is going to be key here. And it's not, again, it's not just the actual words that you say. It's how you say them to your enthusiasm. If you're smiling on the other end of the phone, if you're standing up, if you're, you know, if you're, just, if you're in the mindset versus just monotone. So those are just kind of some oh, basics. There. And I think those both are enormous. They're way more important, I think, even than kind of the questions you're going to ask. And I really mean this. In fact, um, working with a new client on the one-on-one basis, um, Andre said, go-to truckers. We were talking about this in a call last week. His training before he became a freight broker was in music, musician. So singing, playing, um, you know, playing instruments, being in classical, right? So he spent years tuning his, you know, his ear to being able to pick up on these things. So it really didn't surprise me when he ended up becoming like the top salesperson in their company. And it's, this is exactly what we're talking about. It's 
people rarely remember what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel, right? And yes. to your point, right, when you are managing how you're speaking and that energy, it is often way more valuable than what you're asking. To me, right, the hardest part of doing this job, cold calling for me, was always the days where you don't feel like doing it. The days where whatever, you didn't have enough sleep, maybe your kid was up, What you're sick, you don't feel good, you had a, an, a car accident on the way to work, it took you an hour and a half, those days, right? Because those days, it is much harder to be able to bring up the energy up to here, right? To be able to talk like this and to be able to be excited and to be able to get them excited. And when you're down, that's difficult. And I would say that is by far the heaviest lift in actually achieving your goal of bringing on customers. It's bringing the energy, right? It's getting them to want to be able to talk to you and letting them feel like you're not bringing them down and feeling like they just got off the phone with somebody that sucked all of their energy out, right? Like that's the takeaway. For sure. Absolutely. So um, a lot of this, a lot of this content, we've we've talked about a lot of these questions before. And I, I wrote a blog several years ago that went through a series of questions that you should be asking. And we're going to elaborate on that today. But a lot of this, this is nothing new here. We didn't reinvent the wheel. We just kind of we're repackaging content that we've you know already discussed in different various forms. So kind of the different categories of questions that I have here, and these are just, these are generalized, and then we'll break down the different ones. But um, you know, questions about the actual product or commodity, uh, questions about who the decision maker is and what they do inside of that uh, company, uh, questions about the lanes or equipment type required for these shipments, uh, volumes like so, how much and how often are they shipping? Um, that, you know, the, the time, so facility times and lead times and how urgent this stuff is. So I've kind of generalized all these, but I want to start off with understanding the product or commodity. And I'll first, you know, say that you should know what the product is or what the commodity is that they ship. But there are a lot of other questions that you want to uncover when you're talking to your prospects to better understand the commodity. So you're not going to call a manufacturing company and say, Hey, this is Nate over at ABC Logistics. What do you guys make? <laughs> you, know I mean? you should know. You should have done so, a little bit of what research. What are you guys doing over there? Huh? Yeah, and how can we work together? <laughs> like, hey, ABC Steel, what do you guys make? Do you guys make steel by any chance? No. So you should understand what their commodity is. But some of the things that, and I made some notes here, but you want to figure out what is the actual, the value of that commodity? Is it, is it you know, and reason being, is a standard carrier's cargo policy going to cover it? Or is there a special requirement there? Also, what kind of a value is it to their customer, right? Is this something that if if um, if they don't have this part on time, they're going to shut down production? Is it something that um, if it shows up late or damaged, will have a huge impact? Or is it something that, um, you know, maybe it's just a, you know, run of the mill, just a widget that they need and they just have a stock of, you know, it's just, it's one of those things you have to understand what, how is their product or commodity used by their customers and what kind of impacts does it have? Cause every, you know, you can have way different ends of the spectrum in this kind of stuff from an engine part. That's super important to lumber that eh, it's lumber, you know, well, let's go through an example. Let's go through one and, and I'll just go through the one that you just threw out there, right? So we'll go through steel and we'll go through a coil, right? Because a coil in and of itself also kind of feels like, what's the difference between shipping this coil versus another steel coil, right? And I'll just give you a, a one example from one of my customers from a few years ago, right? We shipped a lot of coils for Alcoa, the big aluminum producers, right? Now, 
I'll give you two different instances. So asking the customer, hey, you know, where are we shipping this to? And honestly, like, what is it used for? How early do they need it? Is this a real strict receiving appointment? What happens if they don't get it right? So those are some of the questions I'm asking throughout a conversation. And here's what we determined. Their coils were vastly different than each other. And I'll give you two examples. One was going to the Coors Brewing Company out in, um, it was literally out, in, I think it was in Colorado. Um, yeah. So anyway, they were coming out of like Tennessee. Colorado. So, yeah. So from Tennessee out to Colorado, right? Now, these coils that make beer cans are very, very thin gauge, right? Think about a beer can. If you flick it, you will dent it, right? Now, the other coils that they ship to other things, right? Thicker gauge. In fact, those coils were used oftentimes to build appliances. Think a washer. If you flick a washer, is it going to dent that piece of steel? No. no. And again, steel is different than aluminum. But again, just for example, steak, right? Now, one coil, the very thin gauge we found out was one had to be there on time because again, just the way that receiver functions, they need them coming in every day or they don't have enough inventory to put through their steel mill or their, you know, their pressing to make beer cans, right? Now, what we also learned was when you secured those coils on a truck, they needed to be completely different than normal coils. So in this case, they needed to have bubble wrap oftentimes, like sheets wrapped around them and then cardboard and then tarped. And here's why. And here's what we found out by talking to them, asking other questions. Hey, what has happened in the past? Have you had claims on these? What have the issues been when shipping them? And what we found out was when they just tarp them like a normal coil, even like hail, right? Coming down out of the sky, unpredictable. Or road debris getting kicked up off the ground would hit the tarp, but the coil was so thin gauge that a few of those rocks would put a nick in that coil. Well, guess what? When you've got a coil that is that thin, a nick, they said, that was like, you know, three eighths of an inch, like a very small dent. They said ruined like hundreds of yards of this coil of this aluminum yeah. because you can't put it through the machine. And it went so deep into it, even like this, this minuscule thing. And they sent us pictures. They said, these have the highest claims of anything we ship as a company, all of Alcoa, like this customer, this coil, nobody wants them. The truck drivers don't want to take them because they're such high claim. So it was a great time to find a unique solution to it. We found other places that could supply the things that the drivers could pick up to make sure they were covered. We made sure the shipper had plenty of what they need to make sure these were secured correctly. We made sure the drivers sent pictures. We made sure that if we were aware of weather, that they would pull under an underpass if there was hail coming down. And there were some other precautions we took. But guess what? They came in a premium. The truckers were willing to do it because we paid them a premium. We charged a little more to our customers to reduce their claim percentage. Yes, the cost went up, but the cost still stayed below their claim percentage. So overall, they saved money. Now, on the other side, it didn't really matter. Ship them, throw tarps on them, coil racks, out of the sky, out of the side. It really didn't make a difference. They weren't the same as this. But it's a yeah. very good example of how the same commodity can be treated differently. You can make more money on them. And you have like a moat to build around your business, right? Just like a castle. It's very hard for somebody to come and take my business from me because the likelihood that my shipper is going to believe that another broker or carrier is going to be able to do what I am doing now is very slim. So now I've protected my business as well. So these questions don't always just get you more business. They can help you protect the business you have. Yeah, so like an, if you, I think of another example too is like anything in the reefer world, right? you got to think about, you know, like, for example, let's, let's take a look at some kind of like citrus or produce, right? You might have some that's going to a distribution center that has 
cold storage in it. Or you might have some that's going to a farmer's market that has to stay at a certain temperature inside the trailer until it's unloaded and used right away. And some of these produce, some of these produce runs, um, you know, if you get to a distribution center 12 hours late, what do you do? But if you get to Hunts Point in the Bronx 12 hours late and, you, and they don't have stock to sell at a farmer's market, it's a very, very big difference there. Um, same thing with like, you know, anything in the refrigerated or temperature controlled space. What does it have to be, you know, what temperature does it have to be held at? And do they want it on continuous or is it cycling? And how soon before they get to the, before a truck shows up, do they expect that reefer unit to be at its set temperature? So, you know, some That's of the stuff, big one can, too. if it's a hundred degrees outside in the middle of summertime and you're trying to get something at like frozen, right? It's, mm-hmm. It takes a lot longer than it would in March to get that reefer unit down to its proper temperature. So it, it, these are the questions you can ask about the commodity and, you know, past claims and issues that they've had. The, you'll uncover a lot of information about this customer and their pain points. And you're clearly adding value because you're asking questions that someone else probably didn't ask them before. And I'm going to give you I'm going to give you. I'll give a, like some higher level stuff you could do with these, right? Because these are always the ones you want to go at first, right? I just did a video on this. I think it'll be out next week. But you're asking operational questions, right? So operationally, like you said, hey, you know, do we need to pre-cool the reefer? What does the temperature need to be at? Okay, we get this information. Now you want to ask a challenge question. Hey, how often do your carriers actually show up and do this? Is it pretty consistent? Out of the 10 loads you're telling me you ship a day, how many show up with the correct temperature when they arrive? And you find out maybe one or two doesn't on a daily basis. Maybe one doesn't, maybe 10% doesn't. Now we're gonna ask consequence questions to be able to make this felt by them, right? This is the feeling. Hey, Jim, tell me, I mean, when a guy shows up and doesn't have his trailer pre-cooled, what does that do to your loading dock? Does that back up your schedule? Does the guy sit in the parking lot until his temperature reaches this? I mean, what happens if you put the product in there before it's pre-cooled? What does that do to the product, right? And even though you might know that like, yes, if you take something out of your refrigerator and put it in a hot garage, it's probably not gonna be good for the food. You want them to be able to tell you this. You want them to be able to tell you about the guy that showed up that didn't do this and ended up screwing up their entire loading schedule or causing an issue with his warehouse that's now he's getting screamed at for it, right? That's how you're getting them to feel the pain of when the things they're telling you that need to be done aren't being done by the people you're competing with, right? That's how you challenge them, make them feel the consequence before you can get to the natural conclusion of, well, hey, if this is happening that much, I mean, is there any reason why we can't run a few of these and prevent this for you, right? Like that's your sales cycle, that's the close. Yep, absolutely. Because remember, somebody before you has messed something up at just about every shipper out there. So they're, they're likely going to have some kind of a story to tell you that can give you insight into what you need to be focusing on to succeed with them. So I want to move on to some decision maker type questions. Um, and there, this kind of this encompasses quite a bit here. So um, I think the most obvious one is who is actually going to make the decision to bring you guys on as a, as a new broker, because I, I've heard so many, I've heard horror stories of people that they're like, they spent so much time trying to close the wrong person that didn't actually make the decision. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've been there. The end, like, all right, cool. What do we do next? And they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't actually do any onboarding. You know, <laughs> at the gym, that's my boss or whatever. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta figure out who that, who is that decision maker that's actually going to get you in the system to, 
you know, work on some like, can they actually tender you some spot loads to work on? Or if you're trying to get into a bid cycle or some kind of a bid process, who is the one that's actually going to be sending you out the link or whatever it is to start, um, you know, the actual bid process there? Because you decision makers are there for a reason. Right. And our goal and gatekeepers are there for a reason, too. So you want to make sure you get past the gatekeeper and get to the decision maker. Um, so that's kind of like the, the obvious one there. Well, let's break um, down. Let's let's yes. little go. Let's break it down, Barney style, right? In regards to like who does what, where, right? Oftentimes, at a shipper, right? To your point, you're going to have probably sometimes three different um, levels of hierarchy, right? Gatekeeper, person screening the people coming in through the phone systems, right? Yep. You're usually going to have somebody else that actually tenders the loads and actually sends the loads to you, right? The person you would be working with on a day-to-day basis, right? Load tender, dispatch, load planner, right? But oftentimes, and definitely in the mid-size to bigger companies, you will have a third person, which is the guy who's in procurement, right? And he's the yeah. guy that decides who gets to be approved as a vendor, right? Yep. They're the ones that are evaluating vendors and determining whether or not a company will work with their company. They're not the ones sending the loads out every day, but they are the one that are going to determine whether or not you will be an approved carrier or vendor for them. Yeah. So, and typically those, and like you said, the bigger the company, the more likely you'll have somebody like that. And they could be like your director of transportation or procurement. It could be, it could, they can go by a whole bunch of titles, but you're right. They're not the day-to-day one tendering it out, but they are likely part of the co- initial contract process if the customer has requirements that they need you to hit. And also that person is usually, they're under the gun for cost overall when it comes to the transportation freight and freight spend, um, claims, you know, on time, all, all the metrics and KPIs that you would see that will rate and rank a carrier in an annual bid cycle. That's what that person is usually uh, measured against. Whereas the, the person tendering the loads, their job is to make that person happy, right? Make that boss happy, get trucks in in and out on time and keep costs to whatever reasonable budgeted um, amount that they've they've got in mind. So uh, yeah, it's, it's really good to understand that. And you can ask those questions too. And I, one of the things I like is when you're talking to that person that tenders freight, right? You can ask things like, hey, I know obviously everyone takes time off and gets sick. Like who who's your backup or who takes over for you when you're not in? for whatever reason, because you always want to know more than just one person in the organization for a variety of reasons, right? If they're out, if they leave that company, if they get promoted, right? A whole bunch of things like that. There's a, there's a saying, it's, it's like one up, one over and one down. Whoever you're working with, you should know the person above them, next to them on either side and the person, you know, that maybe reports to them so that you can widen that circle, right? Yeah. But you, you touched on something that's really worth reiterating and I think pointing out they all have different pain points. They have different jobs and they have different things that they're going to need to make them better at their job. The guy in procurement typically reports about money, about all transportation. Remember, if they are not a 3PL or a 4PL or like an LTL company and their business isn't shipping, they don't care about shipping. Shipping is a necessary expense to get their product to their customers. They're not in yes. the shipping business. So they're looking at what are they doing? How much do they make on widgets? And how much of that money goes to pay to get the widgets to their customer? So procurements yeah. definitely care about costs. And they also usually care about customer satisfaction, how often their customers are getting the things when they said they would get them, right? Now your load planner, 
They're the ones dealing with trucks every day. So they're the ones feeling the stress of a fallout. They're the one that feel the stress of waiting to recover a load where everybody else in the company might not see the stress that happens when trucks don't show up or are late or whatever happens, right? That's their pain. That's where they live, right? So it isn't uncommon for you to be able to build rapport and create value with a load planner much easier than procurement. You might have, like you said, and I've had this, I've been talking to people for months sometimes, and I thought they were the load decision, you know, the decision maker, found out, yeah, they were to tender the loads, but they couldn't approve me. And I needed yeah. to wait another six months because the only time that company ever approved vendors was once a year. And that isn't something that the person I talked to could change or influence, right? So again, you want to be able to find these things out as soon as possible so that you're not spinning your wheels trying to build a relationship with somebody that might not have the ability to even give you what you're trying to get from them. And I want to I want to add to this too. So understanding that structure, think about this. Some of these bigger companies, and I ran into this with a, uh, a freight forwarder years back where as long as you were in at their corporate level, you could li- literally just go to any branch you wanted to and get, get access to any of their freight right. on the spot market. Any of it. The hard part though was getting in the door through their corporate, which was a ridiculously long process. Um, but that's that's why it's so important to understand this because you could do a lot of the hard work up front and then it, it creates a big barrier to entry. So you've got less competition once you get yourself in the door. So to understand how the whole organization is structured is big and um, who does what, what their job is, what their pain points are, who's actually awarding business in a bid cycle, who's tendering freight out on a day-to-day basis, um, things like that. So, And then also I want to just add in here, Literally, how are how are loads tendered? Is it you know? Are you going to be you know? If you're working on their spot freight, is it you and three other folks that day that are all just trying to come back with the first truck and at a reasonable price, or you know, is it the kind of freight where they're going to give you a couple days to to get something covered at a at a price point that they have in mind, and if you can't, they're going to go they're going to go to somebody else. How did like how does that all look and how does that work? You should understand that process because every company is going to have a, a little bit of a different. Um, SOP on how they operate. And you're going to fit into it differently, right? With different SOPs, you're going to have to provide value at different areas, right? They're not always the same thing. They always will tell you it's the same thing. We want better service at lower cost, right? That's that's the front line of every single one. That's your first hurdle, right? So yeah, there are different strategies, but the way I've always kind of looked at it is it's more like politics. You want as many advocates on the other side saying that they think you should be onboarded, right? So if Jimmy, you've been talking to him for a couple of weeks and you know, you've got a good rapport, find out who else has Jimmy's job. Try to start talking with them too, right? Because if ultimately both of their bosses hears from a lot of the people that report to him, they've been hearing good things about you, you're way more likely to be able to get approved by you know the procurement decision maker. The more yep. people you have on your side telling them good things and saying that, hey, they want to give you a shot, the more likely you're going to be able to move that over the goal line, right? Absolutely. Yep. It was actually so just to kind of, I want to go back to another story I had. We, a, a local customer, this is probably four or five years ago, we started doing some business with them and then, we did a facility tour. So it was the the guy that tendered the freight and then his boss, who was like the director of transportation or whatever his title was. And we went to their facility and we saw all of, we saw a lot of other pain points in their logistics and supply chain realm, such as like lack of storage space on site. And we, I, we uncovered the need for like warehousing for them. So we ended up being able to set up warehousing for some of their additional or their over overage in stock that they had that then we got to also do, uh, you know, 
broker the actual shipment of stuff to the warehouse and then from the warehouse back to their facility. So like it was a great way to add additional little business in there just because we figured out who was who and what their pain points were. Because like I said, the the big boss's pain points are not the same as the traffic manager's pain points. So it's good no. stuff. All right. I want to move on to uh, lanes and equipment. So literally you want to find out where are they shipping? How often are they shipping? What kind of equipment, PPE, special, you know, straps, tarps, pipe stakes, you name it, dunnage, right? What kind of all that, what, what about all that goes into their normal operation? And it's really, really important to understand this stuff because when there's a misunderstanding or a broker fails to get details on some of this stuff, that's where they can quickly lose their credibility, right? They they could have send the wrong equipment in there or send a driver in that's missing certain equipment or, um, you know. Hey, stop there for one yeah. second because I, I want to point out something before we go further, right? And this came up a lot in um, coaching over the past week or two. You will save yourself a tremendous amount of time by just doing the simple thing, asking what equipment they can load, not just what one they're telling you, right? So when they go, hey, you know, I need a whatever, 53 dry or whatever, ask a follow-up question. Hey, can this load on a reefer? Can this load maybe in a Conestoga, right? Just asking these questions allows you to make it so much easier for you to cover later and to your point, avoid some issue, right? And just getting in the habit of always asking. If they tell you something, make, make sure you're asking if it's open deck. Hey, if this is a flatbed, can it load on a step deck? Can it load on a double drop? How long is it? Are you able to load other equipment? And if you can't, what are the reasons to? Because again, having more options is just going to make it easier for you to actually get a truck at a margin that works for you too. Yes. I want to add in there too. Um, so it, like I've seen this actually quite a bit recently is somebody that's moving partials. So whether it's flatbed or enclosed in a, like in a van, um, oftentimes you've got alternative options for those partials, right? It could potentially go LTL. It could potentially go on a, a hot shot. It could go in a straight truck, box truck, Sprinter van, maybe you never know. I mean, there's all kinds of other stuff in here. Just because they're used to shipping it one way doesn't mean that that's the only way to do it. And these kind of questions will uncover that for you. You might even talk to somebody that they're like, you know what? I never thought about that. And you, you can guys can solve that problem together and figure out if you've got a better solution for them. So 100%. And that's actually, that's the most recent video I just edited, which is LTL versus partial versus um, full truckload. And again, you have access to doing all of these. It doesn't cost you any more money. You're just providing different levels of service and different options, right? LTL, lower price, don't have a lot of visibility, don't really know when it's going to get there. In the middle, partial option, a little bit higher price, more visibility, not guaranteed delivery, but closer. Full truckload, dedicated, highest cost, but you know exactly where it is. It has the highest control and you have the least risk, right? Somewhere yeah. in there, you can move things back and forth. They're not set in stone. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Some of this stuff like with partials, right? When you when you ask this stuff, like if they want if they want to go full truckload and you think it might be able to get partialed out, you need to verify with them if, if they're okay with that before you do. Because yes. I've seen instances where a driver will intentionally take two partials knowing that they can't make both they can't make the the delivery times perfectly and then they'll just mysteriously have a breakdown which causes them to be late to one of the deliveries because they knew they weren't going to make it in the first place and oh by the way they never turn their gps on so you're just going to go by you're going by their word that oh yeah they're broken down over here at this place when they really aren't um so yeah you got to make sure because 
again, this time sensitive, urgent stuff. If you miss a delivery and it has to wait till the next day, it's going to piss your customer off. And you're right. There's also a lot of commodities you can't load with other commodities. Just the top one that comes to my mind is kosher food. um, Where like, yeah, you literally can't load it with some other foods for, you know, reasons. There are other things that you can't. So definitely make sure you verify that before you just go and partial it out. Because I've definitely seen people lose customers trying to make a couple extra hundred bucks by loading some more cargo. And I've also seen drivers do this without a broker's knowledge. And that's where they just vanish. And all of a sudden, it just always seems to happen when you're shipping a 10 or 15,000 pound dedicated load, right? And they got all this yep. empty space and all of a sudden you can't hear from the guy for two, three days. Well, oftentimes the driver's picking up another load there. on the way, making a couple yeah. extra hundred bucks, a couple thousand and just, sorry, I'm a couple days late. I don't know what happened. It's my radiator or whatever. Yep. So I, I want to expand this into kind of your the volume of shipment too, because not just the equipment in the lanes, but how often are they moving? Is it? daily freight and we we've kind of used that number 20 loads a month right that if you're at 20 loads a month or more a customer week. is likely going to benefit week. from brokerage services right week 20 a week 20 a week is what you're saying yeah. okay all right 20 to 25 a week i feel like around and because that's about the same number for one broker to be able to do without needing an assistant usually one person can cover around five, four to five loads a day but right around there you've got no more bandwidth you're working eight to ten hours you probably need somebody. And that's usually where a load planner then needs a broker because they need the flexibility when trucks don't show up. But again, yeah. it's kind of like a a loose metric to just get an idea. But you're right. Okay. And the other thing is load volume has an inverse relationship with cost. And everything else, when you do more of something, it usually gets cheaper. In this world, if you are shipping five truckloads down the same lane, every truck gets harder to get. And if you're shipping 10 down the same lane, the ninth and 10 cost more than the first and second. So you actually yeah, you're, have the you're changing, You're changing the market within your own lane yes. on your own customer. Yep. That's crazy. Um, also, too, is inbound versus outbound, right? Are they, you know, are they controlling just outbound freight? Do they control any inbound freight? You know, how, how does it match up? Is it, are they doing a mix of both? Is it just one or the other? Because... If they are controlling their inbound and their outbound, you can literally piggyback off of your own customer, get more of their business, right? That you may not have thought about. Um, And that's a great way to just look at this, right? The visual that I always kind of have in my head is anything that's going out of a building had to get in there in the first place. Maybe it's a raw material. Maybe it's not the same looking commodity like plastic comes in in beads or whatever, and it goes out as whatever, a toy truck. But something's getting shipped in and someone's controlling it, or at the very least the receiving, they may or may not have issues and may or may not need some additional help there too. All the same. Yep. Think about your beer example, right? It goes out as beer, but it comes in as steel, barley, Mm -hmm. hops, all that stuff. Um, uh, Last thing in this section too is, you know, what, what are they seeing for, like if they have a, if they have contract business, how often are they seeing, stuff get kicked back and fall into their spot market or maybe it's not kicked back or you know rejected by a, a, a driver or broker but maybe they just have one-off freight that hits the spot market that was unplanned for originally and you want to understand how that looks because if you're I mean you're not going to hop in and start with contract business right away right you're gonna you're gonna prove some value in their spot market business with the goal to get to their contract business down the road so you want to understand, what do you have the ability to get your hands on as a new broker working with them versus what is the golden 
egg down the road that you want to get your, you know, get your hands on. And what does that look like overall? Um, I think the understanding the the spot's going to be extremely huge for you because if they're telling you that, hey, literally like 30% of our loads are getting kicked back for like out of every single load, that's huge. And we actually, we, we did see that like in the last year yeah. or two. Um, but I would say, you know, typically a 10% or 10% or so tends to be what we see the metric for outbound tender rejection. And I think that's from the freight waves metrics, but you need to understand this. Um, it's, well, you got, you have brokers and carriers out there that are notorious for bidding on things that they know they can't cover. They're going to kick back anyway. Yes. So. And again, right. Keep in mind, my, one of my favorite analogies for this is for anyone new to the industry, it's like a temp position versus a full-time position, right? You're really mm-hmm. interviewing kind of for a temp position. Hey, you need some help here or there? I'll come in and sweep the floor. Oh, I'll come in and help with this. Oh, I'll come in and do this. I'll do whatever you need to prove to you that I'm the kind of worker you would want on your team. Once you've yes. done that for a period of time, they go, hey, this guy shows up. This guy goes above and beyond. They're over-servicing it. Like, let's give him a little more responsibility. So you get a couple more loads. Okay, performing well here. Let's look at giving him some consistent loads, maybe the same ones he's doing well every week. There's your next step. Your final step is once you've done that enough that they've trust you and you've built up enough of a reputation with them and this business that they go, hey, let's give them some more on a consistent basis because we know they're not going to drop the ball on us. And that's the curve of the sales process. In our world, it's very different than other industries. In most industries, you find a customer, you sell them, you find the next customer. In ours, you find one of two people, you've got to get onboarded, then you've got to build rapport with the guy sending you the freight, then you've got to go through this process of showing them that you're going to do what you say you're going to do over a long enough period that they trust you to, to your point, give you the golden egg, give you what we're trying to get to, right? Yep. And I want to add in there too, a question, we didn't have this run written down, but um, the question being, is there anything urgent right now you're trying to get out the door that I can help work on for you, right? Because oftentimes if there's an immediate pain point and it's, hey, I've had two people now kick this load back to me, like if you can come in and save the day for them, that's going to be a massive, massive uh, win for you right there. So every one of my customers started with that, I think like everyone started with a load that like they couldn't get moved or a lane that nobody wanted to work. And it's like when you can go and do those and show them like that's the best way to get on board. Right. Like and their days, right. They suck. You're working six, eight hours to cover maybe one load. It might over two days you might spend to just cover a load and you might only do it for like a five or eight percent margin where you're barely breaking even. But it yep. shows that you're willing to do those things when necessary. That really shows you're different than the people you're being compared to, right? That's yep. how you go above and beyond. It's not just being the cheapest and it's not talking about yourself, right? It's finding out what they need right now. What? And it's like, you almost wish you could ask it directly. Hey, what is your biggest pain in the ass problem right now on your desk that's killing you? What can I help you with? What can I do to make your life easier right now? Is there anything on your desk? That's really what you're trying to determine up front. Yep. That's huge, man. It's huge. And again, there's you can use your own style and your own voice to phrase these questions differently. And you can kind of wrap a lot of them together. Um, yes. And th- the best conversations I've had are the ones that are conversational. They flow very smoothly. It's not rattling through like an interview. You know what I mean? It's conversational back and forth. And a lot of times they'll answer 10 of these questions without you having to ask them because you're just you're just talking about certain things. Yep. And they'll they'll tell you, oh man, you'll never believe what happened with 
these guys last week, blah, blah, blah. And they'll go on and on and on. And you're like, well, I just answered half of what I wanted to figure out here. Yep. So um, the last thing I had on here was just some of the important shipping windows of time. So, you know, understanding very, very clearly, this kind of goes back to the knowing the commodity, but knowing their facility, what, like, is it eight to four first come first serve, or do they have to have an appointment and call like 48 hours before to verify or, um, same thing with the delivery, right? How is there the, the consignees receiving going? Is there expected wait times of three to four hours during certain times? How is detention handled and paid? How are layovers handled and paid? Um, is, you know, is they, if something is super, super urgent, you know, how flexible are they when it comes to um, expediting it or on price or whatever the case might be? Just So just kind of understanding that the timeline and the, the actual time on ground and at their facilities and whatnot is going to be very, very big. I've seen a lot of times where there's disputes over, you know, late charges or detention, and it's all because it was never discussed with the broker and their customer. And the carrier oftentimes in these situations has a realistic reason to deserve some kind of accessorial pay, but the broker is not going to get it, get it approved because they never checked the box on that. It reminded me of remind me of another line, right? Assumption is the mother of all f ups, right? When you're assuming, right, it is by far the biggest mistake you're going to make. Assuming yeah, they're the first phrase? come first serve. Assume Ass- you make an ass out of you and me, right? Yep. And the reality is, is right. Like this is happening every day in almost every brokerage, and it, you know, I'm guilty of it from time to time. But you want to do your best to make it a habit again, just like we were talking about equipment. Knowing which shippers are FCFS, which are by appointment, which receivers are on the same end, because it is going to affect which trucks you can put on it, right? You need to know when a guy's empty if you've got a strict loading appointment because you need to be able to get him there in enough time, right? And on the same hand, like this is also very common with lots of commodities, produce, getting to grocery stores, um, Walmart DC, Costco DC, Sam's DCs. um, A lot of them, you've got to go into a whole other system to schedule a strict appointment time. And if you aren't doing it enough ahead of time and you're waiting till the day of, oftentimes you can't get even even get a receiving appointment. Now you got to pay a driver a layover for something that you should have known and should have been able to get ahead of, right? Yep. So these are real issues and they're also also opportunities because if it's something that any one of us could forget, that means our competitors are out there obviously also occasionally making a mistake not getting something delivered, not knowing of an appointment time, confusing these things. And it's an opportunity for when they drop the ball for you to be able to get your foot in the door. That's it, man. That's it. Every one of these questions, like you said, it it should be, you know, the goal is to learn more about your customer, understand them. But it's also, you know, one of the secondary goals is to be able to expose some of your competition's shortfalls, right? Find out who's been screwing up this stuff in the past for them. And you can always bring back up, remind your customer, um, you know, not not like you're throwing them out on a bus, but remind them of these situations that they've had in the past that you're trying to avoid. So when you talk about, hey, I can get you someone quality and I can get them in there today, you're going to pay a little bit higher than market average for this, though, for these reasons. But don't forget the cost of if this thing shows up damaged or late to your customer, you know, on, on the receiving end, remember back to you know, fill in the blank situation. So well, here's a, and I want to give you like a real example, right? A real example is like, there is a cost for a driver to have a strict appointment versus first come first serve. Because again, if he has to be there by a specific time, we'll say like one o'clock in the afternoon, 
he has to be not only empty early enough, but early enough that by the time he drives there, he's there before it to make sure that he doesn't miss it. Now, if it's first come, first serve, he can get there whenever he can, and there's no risk and no cost to him. So there is a cost to using strict appointments versus first come, first serve. And it is honestly justified for a driver to want a little bit more or for you to have to pay a carrier that is going to have idle time waiting for that appointment, right? As opposed to just showing up and getting loaded when he gets there, right? So these are real reasons why it should cost you a little more for those, those trucks. Absolutely. Well, good stuff. Hopefully you guys uh, can take away something from this discussion, incorporate a lot of these questions into your prospecting calls. Um, We've got three good questions today, but first I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Lean. Lean Solutions Group is the industry leader in nearshore staffing solutions with offices in South America, including freight broker back office operations, accounting, tech development, business development, marketing, customer service, and many other positions. To learn more about the vast solutions that Lean has to offer your freight brokerage or agency, visit them online at www.leangroup.com. Again, that's leangroup.com. Our first question, and again, these all come from our, our Facebook group this week. Uh, first question is, what is the best way to establish my business LLC and get my EIN? So I actually thought back to like with Freight 360, when we when we made it like an official company, um, you you did all the paperwork on it. I think I just signed a couple of things, but I'm pretty sure the LLC is done through your state and the EIN is done through the IRS. Am I incorrect? That is, is that correct. Added? Yeah. Businesses are registered through your state. So like ours is registered in Florida through SunBiz. You go on like, and again, I know Florida is because I've been here. I haven't been in Pennsylvania a long time, but you go into the state, you can pretty much apply for it and get it done through there. Um, we did also use a law firm to draw up our like operating agreements and things. So like you can get the filing through your state, but you will, you can use LegalZoom. Um, I know, what was the other one I've used? Law Depot was one that we looked at too, because yes. you, you can basically get like an articles of, incorpor- of uh, organization or whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, partnership agreements, you know, you name it. I feel like this is one, like if it's going to be more than you in it, maybe don't use a boilerplate, maybe pay an attorney a few hundred bucks to just review one and to change it as needed. You probably won't need one written from scratch. Um, And then the EIN, yeah, you're just, you're applying through it through the federal system and then you get it like a social security number for your business. Yep, exactly. Good stuff. Next question. How often should I follow up with a prospect? What is the follow-up process and how long before I give up? on that prospect. You want to take this one? We, t- sure. I mean, we've had varying answers yeah. on this. So I think I I'll, I'll start off by saying it depends on, depends yes. on how the, how the conversation went, if you even had a conversation. Yeah. So if you haven't had a conversation, give it a week before you call at least five to seven days. If you've spoken with them based on what they say, if they're telling you, Hey, I might have something for you to look at, call me back at a certain time. That's when you call them back is the first, right? Now, if you don't know, and you've had a decent conversation, you're like, Hey, you know, just check back with me. I'm usually a week to two weeks to follow back up on a good conversation. But again, it really depends on what's going on in their company. If it seems like they are having lots of issues or they need help finding trucks now, or they are a lot of the questions we talked about in this episode, having these issues with other brokers, I will be reaching out to them probably more frequently. Like if it's Tuesday, I'm probably going to call them next week, Tuesday or Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I always vary the time and day. So I'm not calling them the same day and the same time of day. So I spoke to him at two in the afternoon on Tuesday. I'll probably pick a different time. And I'm really trying to feel them out to see when is the best time for them to speak to me. 
And by calling them at different times, that's going to give me that feedback. Now, I give up based on whether or not they aren't qualified. If they aren't shipping 25 loads a week and they aren't using a broker, I'm not calling them back. So I'm giving up when I feel like there is the juice isn't worth the squeeze. There's not an opportunity for me to keep pursuing. Now, the last thing I want to point out is we talk about this a lot. The average customer gets closed on your eighth to 12th touch or conversation. That's not your eighth to 10th or eighth to 12th phone call to them. That's they've picked up the phone and you spoke to them roughly between times eight and 12, where they will start giving you loads or you'll be approved. And that usually takes, I would say, on average two to three months of enough. You reach out to them, you spoke, had some good conversation. They're starting to know you and you've got this back and forth going. I'll add in there too. Um, giving the only reason I would ever give up on a prospect, it's not a timeline thing. It's just like you said, it's qualifying versus unqualifying them. So like you could have someone tell you to F off and hang up on you five times, but I might call them back in six months because they're, they're definitely not going to remember you yes. or there's someone else working in that position. So yes. And the other thing I would note, I, I want to point out is we feel like they're going to remember us as if we're the only person they talk to because that's the most important thing to us, right? If I'm called 80 yep. people and speak to five, I feel like all five of them, like their day was the same as mine. Like they went home feeling like talking to me was like the thing that happened that day. The reality mm-hmm. is, is that's the least important thing that happened to their day. It was in the midst of them being busy with everything else. And most times you could call them 48 hours later and they don't remember talking to you. Not because you didn't do a good job, because they've got their own things to deal with, their own problems, their own boss, their own issues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's I've, there's plenty of people that have called me as a, and I, like they assume. So I'm putting myself in the customer's shoes in this example. They've called me and said, "Hey, like, hey, it's hey, it's John," and I'm like. John, I talked from... to you three days ago. The amount of people that we all talk to on the phone, it's hard to remember every single person if you've only, you know, talked to them once or twice and it was a while ago. So, yes. Yep. All right. Last question. How do I get carriers to send their paperwork in faster? I, I like this question because it's valid. Um, I mean, you can't really make anybody do anything. You can incentivize carriers, though. Um, Hey, the faster we get your paperwork and the faster you get paid. You could also put, you know, as part of your terms when you tender a load out to a driver is that you want, you know, you need a BOL sent within 24 hours of delivery or something like that. And there's, you could take a picture on your phone. You can use like the cam scanner app. I mean, there's all kinds of free apps out there that they could just take a picture of a BOL and send it into you. Cause the, you know, the reality here is your customer might have a requirement to get a signed BOL in hand within 48 hours. So you need to get that from the customer. Yeah. Um, but it's not unusual to be able to get a BOL on an invoice within a day or two from a driver. So, well, And here's the other thing. I, I always sell it, again, to your point, as a service to them, not as something I need them to do for me, right? Hey, I want to make sure I can get you paid quicker. I want to make sure we don't have any issues getting this later from you later in the week when you get back. Can you just do me a quick favor? Like you said, take a picture, just text that to me real quick. You'd still do what you're going to do. Still give it to your dispatcher. He'll still send it to my team in an email when you invoice. But can I get it from my customer? Because then I know you won't have any issues getting paid. And then I can just, you know, alleviate any of these issues for you, right? Sell them on why it's important for them to do it, to help them get what they need, which is getting paid quicker without issue. And pretty much every driver's got a phone with a camera on it that they can just shoot that over at this point. Yep. That's it. Good stuff. Good questions. Keep them coming for sure. Keep them coming. Um, what else we got going on? 
Well, I mean, kind of we were talking about a little earlier, doing some maybe some different stuff with the YouTube channel, trying to get more of these questions out there. I think the more we get from the audience telling us, you know, the things that they're dealing with, the more we can put out content more aligned with it. And I'm really excited about starting to do some more of that stuff because, again, it just seems like it's providing a lot more value, right? Like you and I talked about this last week, talking to a half a dozen people some weeks that are finding us asking us questions through YouTube. And like, that's the whole point of this. This is why we do this, right? It's to be able yep. to add value back to the market to be able to answer these questions, regardless of whether or not you become a client or end up working with us directly. Like, this is why we do this. This is what we do on a day-to-day basis, what we like doing. Yep, absolutely. Um, let's do something random here. What's the craziest thing that happened to you in brokerage in the last week? You got anything, you got anything, any crazy stories? I didn't have anything crazy, but I had an interesting one this morning. This morning, we were talking about it earlier, was um, had a driver, and this was one of 11 loads, right? Um, this was like the ninth load. Shipper has loaded every one of the same commodity the same. No issue with the first nine trucks. The guy that loaded yesterday, he went and scaled out, and over his middle axle, he was 36.5. He was 11.2 on the front and 30 on the back. So total, he was less than 80,000. But he is correct. Um, you know, we were we looked it up on a single axle. You can only have twenty thousand pounds over it. On doubles, you can have thirty four over. So I'll tell you. No, go ahead. I, I got a story for you on that too. Yeah. No. So like, yeah, absolutely. This morning, first thing I got a call late last night. The guy had an issue. He had to go back to the shipper, and the shipper. I mean, he makes some valid points. And the guy he's paying to load at his warehouse is like, look, we've loaded every other truck exactly the same with the same commodity, and no issue. But. To what we talk about, and this is exactly what I said to the shipper, I said, if we knowingly send him out, you know, illegally overweight, right? Like that's on us. If something happens, they've got the ability to push back and say they're not liable if anything happens. You know, I'm not an attorney, but these are the situations that you want to avoid at all costs. If you know about it and you know it's past the guidelines, don't do it because it's way riskier than you're going to imagine. Yep. So we, I ran into this with uh, an LTL back in the day. Because I think about it, LTL is it's a bunch of single axles versus your double axle on a on a uh, tractor trailer regular setup there because you'll have two like 26, 28 foot pup trailers are called mm-hmm. where they have a single axle in the back and then they use a like a connecting device to connect the two and um, latch the it just if you look at a, if you look at an LTL just look at a picture of it, you'll see it's four single axles that can each have uh, 20,000 pounds on it. So we would have like floor loaded steel that had to be moved around just the right way because these guys would scale over 20,000 pounds. And it's really important too. If, if you have a driver that you know, they're going to, they're going to hit a scale and they're not, uh, you know, well, a lot of times you'll have scales either on site or right near your customer's locations. But if they're going to hit one of those mandatory scales on the side of the highway, uh, it's really, really important that you get those numbers correct. And that's another question you could be asking your customer too. Like, do you know, is there scales on site or is there like a cat across the street or whatever the, you know, case yeah. might be. So, well, and it's a great example, right? So just in that particular instance, got to pay the driver layover and my customer had to pay his, you know, his warehouse workers an extra, it was like four or 500 bucks to, you know, reshift this load around. So, I mean, all in all, this was a thousand dollar mistake that could have been avoided in the first place, right? Asking there those questions. Good stuff, man. All right. Any final, you? final, what's that? Anything crazy happened this week on your end? Um, 
I was in Nashville all last week. We went through it. It was good, though. We had a lot of good stuff. There's like a lot of insurance things we were going through for a, a big customer that we're trying to onboard with. And it kind of blows my mind that we've talked about this before, but customers that they they ask for insurance that like they literally like it. Doesn't like you just anybody. wonder yourself, why? Like, what? why do you yeah. need this? Uh, but in this case, it was like the, the parent company was telling the customer like, this is we're dictating to you that all your providers need to have this. So it was a yep. lot of jumping through hoops and stuff, but got it done. So yeah, Sweet, man. good stuff. Any closing thoughts here? Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. And until next week, go Bills. That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Check out the show notes for links to anything that we've referenced on this episode. And make sure to visit us online at Freight360.net to see our entire library of episodes, videos, blogs, and more. And make sure to check us out on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel for daily and weekly tips and content. If you'd like your question answered on the show, fill out the Contact Us form on our site and we'll see you next week. 